Is there a product or service you're really passionate about, but people just don't seem interested, or maybe just not as interested as you thought they'd be, and you just can't figure out why? Knowing how to troubleshoot a sales problem is the first step to solving it, and that's exactly what we'll cover in this episode. I'm Janet Murray. I'm a business strategist and copywriter who helps consultants, coaches, freelancers and small business owners generate consistent income and recurring revenue. I'm also the creator of the Courageous CEO Business Strategy Planner, which contains tried and tested strategy and resources to grow your business. I'm big on strategy, which for me is about simplicity and finding the easiest route to achieving your goals, always. And I don't always have all the answers. I mean, who does? But I will share the questions you need to be asking to build the kind of business you want to run. And one, crucially, you can scale or sell in the future. Troubleshooting a sales problem can feel really hard, partly because it's hard not to feel emotionally attached to your products or services. And when people don't want to buy, it can feel personal, like it's some kind of slight on your expertise. It's not, by the way. The other challenge is that in order to fix the problem, you have to know what's causing it and where the heck do you start. In this episode, I'll share the key areas to look at when trying to diagnose or troubleshoot a sales problem in your business. So the first area you need to look is the lead generation and sales process. So when a client asks me for help with a sales problem, the first thing I ask them to do is to describe their lead generation and sales process. In other words, what activities are they doing and in what order to attract, nurture and then sell to their ideal clients. Often I find they don't really have one or if they do, it's a bit inconsistent. Often they've created an offer or a service and maybe they've posted about it on their website or social media, in their newsletter, for example, a couple of times and then they've just kind of sat back and waited for the inquiries to come in. So they haven't actually really launched it to start off with. And yes, you do need to launch a service and you need to keep launching it if you want to make consistent sales. Also, they typically don't really have any targets of how many of a particular product or service they need to sell, their capacity to deliver, all the things we've talked about in the previous few episodes and also the best time for them to do it. Some times of year or even times of the week or months can be better for your business and understanding what they are can be really helpful. Another common problem is that you're using the wrong strategy to meet your objective. So for example, if you need to generate new clients in the next 30 days, the last thing you need to do right now is create an email lead magnet or start a blog. Because while this may attract new people into your world, typically most of these people won't be ready to buy straight away. They'll need nurturing. And to do that, you'll need to create thought leadership content. And that's why this is a strategy I'd only really recommend if you have a good 90 days to nurture those leads. If you need new clients fast, the most likely people to buy are existing or previous clients or to recommend or refer people who already know, like and trust you. So personal outreach emails to those people are far more likely to be successful for you. The next area to look at is whether there's a good fit between the service and the ideal client. Because a really common cause of disappointing sales is that someone is just trying to sell a service that just doesn't work for the ideal client. And the reason they're not interested is because it doesn't really solve a problem for them. And this can be really common with coaches who commonly make the decision to move into coaching because of a personal or professional transformation. So maybe they've left a career or a relationship that isn't serving them and they're really pleased about that and quite rightly so. But they can often decide they then want to help others in that very same specific situation and they want to help them have that kind of epiphany. But what they often overlook 
is that just because they are willing to pay for coaching to achieve this particular transformation, that doesn't mean other people will want to pay them for that transformation or certainly enough people to turn it into a sustainable business. So they get stuck on a particular idea and they get stuck in trying to sell a service people just don't want because they don't desire that transformation enough. The third area to look at when you're trying to diagnose a sales problem is pricing. And this doesn't necessarily mean you're pricing too high or too low. It can just mean your pricing isn't a good fit for the kind of client you're targeting. To put this into context, in the last episode, I shared how I wrote a 5,000 word white paper for a client and I repurposed that into podcast episodes and social media posts. Now, that client was providing high level consultancy to big tech firms and they were fully booked at that stage way into the future, which meant me handling that content campaign for them and freeing up eight working days of their time would potentially free them up to make way more money or just to have some much needed time off. Another client I work with, a consultant and speaker, needed help selling tickets for a big event. Now, tickets for that event were, I think it was between five and six hundred pounds. So when I got on the sales call with that client, I was really mindful of what kind of return on investment would feel realistic for them in relation to my pricing. Now, of course, getting a return on investment from an event isn't always about ticket sales. It can be about authority, brand positioning, relationship building. If you're an event organiser, you can often end up building connections that lead to other types of projects or work. But it's certainly a really helpful indicator that there's a good fit between you and your ideal client. Now, had their ticket prices been 50 to 60 pounds, and I have been approached by clients like this in the past, they'd potentially have had to sell more seats at their event than they actually had available to cover the cost of my service. So unless there was a really good commercial reason for it, like they typically managed to upsell five really amazing corporate contracts at that event, then it wouldn't have felt like such a good fit or not a good fit at all. Both of these clients, the person who was providing high-level consultancy to big tech firms and the consultant and speaker, they are both really confident in their expertise. They have a solid lead generation and sales process for their key services. So it was easy for them to make a business case to themselves for investing in mine. A less experienced consultant who's struggling to attract their ideal clients might like the idea of me writing their white paper for them and totally understand how much time it would save them. But it will be harder for them to make a business case to themselves for investing. Another key area to look at is your sales copy and messaging. And hands down, this is one area that has frustrated me endlessly in the time that I've been in the online space, because you can have a great product or service that provides an incredible transformation. But if you're not able to articulate that to your ideal clients in your sales copy, it will not sell. And typically this shows up as a sales page or sales copy that describes the features of a service and the process that a client will be taken through rather than how investing will benefit them. And of course, this links back to knowing your value and something I covered in more depth in the pricing episode. But when a client is struggling with sales, what I often find is that their copy focuses on the process rather than the desired outcome. And who wants to buy a process? Because that sounds like hard work, right? So let's say, for example, you are a hypnotherapist who specializes in helping clients overcome driving anxiety. And you tell me that people are visiting your sales page or they're looking at your sales copy or reading your emails but they're not buying. And by the way, this is a hypothetical example. But in a scenario like that, and I've certainly come across many like them, I would put money on the fact that your sales page is focused on 
you rather than your client and that it will lead with your process. So lots of hypnotherapists use something called EMDR to help clients overcome trauma. So on their sales page, you'll see a big block of text explaining what EMDR is. And if you've got no idea what I'm talking about, well, that actually kind of makes my point. But here's a bit of copy that I got by Googling this. When you undergo EMDR, you access memories of a trauma event in a very specific way. Combined with eye movements and guided instructions, accessing those memories helps you reprocess what you remember from the negative event. That reprocessing helps repair the mental injury from that memory. So I know it can be annoying to get interrupted when you're listening to a podcast, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you don't want to miss out when a new episode lands, and I do plan to drop some bonus episodes ahead of the new season, please hit the follow button on your favourite podcast app. You can do it while you're listening now. Not only will this make sure you don't miss out on any new episodes, but it will also help get this podcast in front of more listeners. Thank you so much. And now back to the episode. Now, as someone who suffers with driving anxiety, I can tell you firsthand that I could not care less about the process you're using and definitely not when I first land on a sales page. What I want is to have my freedom and independence back. I want to feel confident enough to drive along any type of road at any time of the day and not feel anxious every time I have a motorway drive or something else that I find daunting and find myself thinking about it days or even weeks in advance. I also don't want the inconvenience and the extra cost of having to take public transport to places that would be quicker and easier to drive to because I'm an anxious driver. And the last thing I need is to be made to feel more anxious, which is exactly what will happen if I land on your sales page. And the first thing I read is about revisiting traumatic events. So I was in a traumatic car accident many years ago while tracking my eye movements, which sounds a bit scary. No, that is not going to make me want to work with you. I also don't need to feel that it's going to be hard work, which is exactly what I'm going to feel if you list how long the sessions are, how they work, how long I might need to work with you. So regardless of what you sell, your sales copy needs to focus on the transformation your client desires. That part where I talked to you about how I wanted to feel freedom, independence, be able to drive on any road, not have the inconvenience or the cost of taking public transport, that is what you need to sell. Now, that's not to say that your ideal clients don't need to know about your methodology and that it's not important but it's not what will get them interested in working with you in the first instance. So if you're not focusing on the right things in your copy, including emails, social media posts, other content you create along with sales pages, you could be losing potential clients before they've even had a chance to find out how you can help. The last area you need to look at is onboarding and delivery. And this is an area lots of business owners don't really think about too much. So given that it's much easier to sell to people who already know, like and trust you, customer experience is really important. If you've ever invested in a digital product or any product, in fact, where you felt the company or the individual just took your money and didn't really care about giving you a great experience, you'll know what I mean. So, for example, last year I bought a songwriting course from a UK university, an online course. It was in between Christmas and New Year and I was really excited about getting stuck in. But when I got the confirmation purchase email, I realised I wasn't going to be able to get my course until term time. And I remember thinking to myself if I can automate delivery of a digital product between Christmas and New Year as a business owner with a small team, why can't a university with tons of resources and a dedicated IT department? This university has a number of higher ticket offers for digital and in-person courses, but I found that experience really off-putting. Something I've also learned over the years, and in particular with selling digital products and event tickets, is that creating a good customer experience is not necessarily about doing more 
it's just about putting yourself in the shoes of your clients and thinking about how you can make it easier for them to do business with you. I'm sure you know yourself that you're far less likely to forget about a dental appointment or a doctor's appointment or hairdresser's appointment if you get a text or email reminder. And this isn't just about the health sector or beauty and it's not just about people actually showing up for stuff. There's a really interesting report from PricewaterhouseCoopers from 2019 which showed that if you send email or text reminders about appointments or meetings, you can expect clients to pay up to 16% more for your services. And implementing seemingly small changes like this in my own business, for example, using an online calendar tool like Calendly, which allows potential clients to book straight into your diary for meetings or even for paid consultations rather than going back and forth over email adding an expiry date to client proposals and including payment links in client proposal emails for deposits or part payments. These are all things that have had a big impact on conversions in my own business, in particular adding expiry dates to client proposals, including payment links. And I do go into that in much more detail. It's a specific session and templates in my business strategy planner, which explains more on how to approach this and also gives you templates to actually implement. The key takeaway here being if you want people to work with you, you need to make it as easy as possible for them to do so. Now, I don't want to wrap up this episode without talking about how to build a lead generation and sales process. However, knowing these key areas to check doesn't necessarily make diagnosis of your sales problem easier because you'll often find things that aren't working as well as they could in more than one area or even in all five. Ideally, what you want to do is to create better lead generation and sales processes in the first place. And even just understanding what an effective lead generation and sales strategy looks like, well, that itself can help you get right to the heart of the problem and to get there much quickly. So I just want to finish up by talking about that. So creating an effective lead generation and sales strategy is about starting with the product or service you want to sell and finding the shortest and easiest route to sale in the time you have available. So this is why creating a new email lead magnet may not be the best idea when you need to generate new clients fast. If you need convincing, think about how long it would take you to create a free download or email lead magnet, a series of delivery or follow-up emails, how many weeks or months you'd need then to nurture those new subscribers and what kind of content you'd need to create to nurture them before they were ready to buy. It could be many, many months, possibly even years. Compare that to making a list of your current or existing clients, creating an email template either to work with you directly or to ask them to provide recommendations or referrals. Well, that's just a few hours work, right? And work that's going to be in front of people who are the most likely to do business with you because they already know, like and trust you. One of the most common reasons for ineffective lead generation and sales strategies I find when working with clients is starting at the wrong end of your funnel. So in other words, what a lot of people do is they think of a lead generation strategy. So think about, I don't know, an email lead magnet or a newsletter or podcast, something they think they would enjoy creating, nothing wrong with that. But what they don't do is think about their objective and also how quickly they need results. And I've actually seen clients create sales problems for themselves by adding unnecessary steps into their sales funnel. So for example, creating email lead magnets or complicated sales funnels for a one-to-one service that they could literally send a few emails or texts and have clients the same day or if not certainly that week. And while you may think people will be grateful for the free content, 
you may actually be putting them off because the sales process is too long, it's too complicated. And they may actually just prefer to book in and have a sales call or just we can sign up to work with you today and pay. Another bonus about being clear on your lead generation and sales process, it's so much easier to create content to promote your business. But of course, you still need a strategy and we'll get into that in the next episode. If you're finding the content in the Courageous CEO podcast useful, then make sure you join the waitlist for my 2024 Business Strategy Planner so you can grab the pre-order discount and bonuses, which are only available for a limited time. These tried and tested resources have helped my clients save time and make more money in their business. Like professional organiser Victoria Bantz, she generated £2,800 worth of new business using just one of the templates that you get with the planning system. Rowena Wilding, a marketing consultant who used the planning system and the resources to reduce her working week to three days without reducing her business income. And Zoe Willingham, a dog behaviourist who increased her business income, which was already at six figures, by 20% using the strategy and templates in my business strategy planning system. The Courageous CEO Business Strategy Planner includes a gorgeous A4 desk planner and there's a digital version too, a 60-minute audio training and a template and checklist to help you implement the systems and processes you need to grow your business. Order during the last week of August 2023 and you'll also get my thought leadership strategy training and a copy of my new book. That's over £150 in free bonuses alone. I will add a link to get your business strategy planner in the show notes of this podcast, but please make sure you don't leave it too late because those discounts and bonuses are only available during pre-order week, which ends on September 4th.